Another week of Behind the Lens, and yes, it is the annual Halloween edition, because it is All Hallows' Eve, otherwise known as Mischief Night. And of course, I have my partner in crime who loves mischief here with me in studio today, the fabulous Frank Meyer. Why, thank you, thank you. I'm very terrified and scared right now. That music was uh You didn't know that scary. was coming. I didn't know it was coming. But, and uh, I'm a little uh, freaked out right now. Well, you know, I have to give credit for that. All of you remember our longtime friend behind the lens, Steve Lee, found, sound guru and founder of Hollywood Sound Museum. Uh, that was one of the clips that Steve has discussed at length and how it came to be mm. uh, in the past when he has been here in studio with us. I had that on vinyl when I was a kid, and then when... Uh, I was older, uh, and we would do Halloween with my daughter. I would crank that record the, the really loud when the kids were coming, and my daughter was always like, Dad, can you turn off that cheesy record? I was like, no. No, it's good. It's scary. But in case you don't know, I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, where we go. Behind the Lens and Below the Line, with the movers and shakers of film and TV makers, the producers, directors, writers, actors, cinematographers, VFX gurus, uh, production designers, costume designers, music editors, sound editors, composers. We talk to them all. We've been, and as you all know, our regular listeners know, we've been doing a heck of a lot of talking with live guests over the past month or so. And it continues today because a real treat. I've been telling you, Frank would be here in person to talk about his new film, his documentary, The Incredible Freestyle 101 Hip Hop History. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretending that there's applause. In my head, there's always applause when I hear myself announced or anything I've worked on. I hear applause, even though normally there's just like a, an intense silence. And why does this not shock me? <laughs> I see. I just I just heard applause. Oh, well, oh Debbie, that's terrific. Because as I have already been writing about, <laughs> you know, this is it's a love letter to hip hop, and what better time to put out a documentary on hip hop than in the fiftieth anniversary since hip hop was founded in nineteen August of nineteen seventy three. This is the perfect timing. Although I would love to say that the whole thing was a master plan of mine to, to have this movie come out at that timing, but no. Um, what it really is is that anytime you make a documentary, they take a long time. 
Uh, it takes a long time to shoot, and if you're telling an ongoing story, you know, you're just sort of shooting and shooting. And then in our case, because we had so many musicians and there was footage that was shot, you know, for different sources and stuff, so it just took a lot of, like, legal wrangling and to get it all. Then by the time we finally had it ready, all of a sudden it was like, and it's the 50-year anniversary of hip-hop, so it worked out perfectly. So, yes, of course, I guess what I'm trying to say is it was all part of my master plan, Debbie, for and sure. I thought it me, through like that. I re- and I know about Frank and his master plans. Yes. I know very well about you and your master plans. That's true. I'm a, I'm a, I'm, well, I'm a doer. I plan and then I do it. I'm, I'm an executor. I plan and then I execute. I don't mean that I execute people, although... <laughs> I'm just saying, if you you know, if you were to step to me or cross me, Debbie, as you know, I'm very tough. I know. So it could go down execution style. But normally, <laughs> I'm I'm a I'm the type of fellow that just, you know, if I have a, a story to tell, or a uh, a song to write, or a film to make, or a project, or a vision, or whatever artistic creative thing, if I think it's a good idea, I'll finish it. And if that thing takes five minutes to finish, you know, some quick little punk rock song idea, great. If it takes, you know, 12 years to finish, like most documentary films do, uh, then you just got to have the wherewithal to kind of just stick stick with it, you know. Well, you know, speaking of master plans, let us give a mutual plug to a good friend of ours. You know, technically, okay, technically... Um, TLC is no LTC. LTC. TLC is a totally different yes. thing. LTC Beef Jerky is now a sponsor of Behind the Lens. Wow. I didn't know there was a sponsorship involved. I just thought this was casual cured meats on the table well, for Halloween. Because everyone knows when you think of Halloween, you think of cured meats and dried jerky. But wow, an official sponsor. An Holy an mackerel. Official, an official sponsor, along with. Another official sponsor that we have what? That, Who? That, that I talk about more often than not, the fabulous Backstage Bar. Oh, well, sure. Everyone knows that. That that alliance goes deep. Yeah. That's a holly, that's a, that's the story of Hollywood legends. So, you know. You know, I mean, that's my home away from home. I right. think it's yours, too. I've been there once or twice. Once or Only twice. once or twice, though. Yeah. I want to stress. Okay. <laughs> stress that. Anything else that you've heard is just lies and innuendo. Uh, uh, but but no, I mean I've been there a few times. It's, it's all right. A few. <laughs> I've been going there for over thirty years. So well, I mean I then I don't know if I've got thirty years no. deep, but uh, I've lived in the Culver City area for two years now. And uh, a friend of mine, when I moved to the area, said to me like, "You got to go to backstage. That'll be your spot." And uh, t- I took her advice and I went, and I pretty much have never left. <laughs> I mean, literally. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of how it happens yeah. there. There you go. Kind of how it happens. I mean, I go home to, like, shower and get water and spend time with my wife and stuff. The good but, thing. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I'm just saying. And to go out and perform. I go out and perform or I make movies, write books. I do all the things I got to do to to be artistically satisfied and or pay rent. But beyond that. Funny how that works. <laughs> well, those are two separate things. And sometimes they're in the same category, but often they're separate things. Yes. You do what you got to do to make money and you do what you do because you love it and if you're lucky they become the same thing uh or your whole career becomes those two things united but usually it's a battle between the two well one thing you and i will not battle about is the ltc beef jerky yep 
That's true. We'll even hold this up in front of the camera. You know, Nick's precious, what is it, Vimo, Venmo, whatever it is, Pam. Yep. Yeah, she just nods. She doesn't talk. But it is. It's all natural. It is made by our good friend, Marcus Tiggs. Yep. And if you are in the L.A. area, you can actually get this. It's not on shelves yet. It is if you're in Colombia. Wait, is this bootleg beef jerky? No. <laughs> are we but, gonna are, are we gonna are, are we gonna get raided by the beef police in a no, second? Do the cured meat cops not. come in and storm the building with batons made of sausage? Oh my god! Is that is that what <laughs> is that what goes down on the mean streets of bootleg meat? I don't know. But this wow. is far from bootleg meat. Marcus no. uses <laughs> it's all 100 percent natural. He uses the best meat possible. Marinades, smokes it, just delicious, fantastic. We have been the beneficiaries of ambassadors, really ambassadors, ambassadors of the LTC beef jerky. Yep. Uh, we get to try new new flavors. Yep, samples. Marcus is very generous with us. Well, with you, with not so much with me, but no, he's fine. <laughs> God. Marcus is terrific, Mar- and, and Mar- he's very generous with his beef jerky. I'm eating some right now. Yes, you are. Which is always good on the radio, eating products and, you know, close mic situations tend to go well together, right? Of course they do. But if you want to try LTC beef jerky, you can get it at Mom's Bar. Now, Mom's Bar is the sister bar to... The Backstage Bar. And Mom's Bar is in Santa Monica, one block west of Bundy on Santa Monica Boulevard. Actually, diagonally from the uh, auto dealer I bought my car from. Wow. It, it, was that what, part of the criteria? No, it was not. <laughs> it I just e- happened. I, I didn't even realize um, until I was standing there the day I was buying the car a couple years ago and said, oh, my God, there's Mom's Bar over there. Um, wow. Yes, so at 12238 Santa Monica Boulevard, you can go to Mom's. You you too can try the LTC beef jerky. It's good stuff. It really is. It is good stuff, and I've had all the flavors over uh, time, and I'm a fan. Um, I like the spicier the better for me. Me too. Me too. uh, Marcus will ask me if it's too spicy, and there's never been a scenario where I'm ever going to say, it's too spicy. He always asks me that, too. And yeah. it's like, no, there's no such thing. Right. It's exactly. too spicy. I mean, there might be for other people, but not brave souls. No. Not not of the likes of us. That's you know true. That's true. But, you know, if anybody goes to Mom's and also the backstage um, tomorrow night on Halloween, there's a costume contest at Mom's. There's what? a costume contest oh, I didn't know this. at the backstage. There's a DJ at Mom's tomorrow night on Halloween. We, of course, have the incomparable K.J. Shane, who, and if you're watching this on the Facebook, on the AdrenalineRadio.com Facebook feed, you will see my stunning porcelain, my beautiful Baby Yoda in a pumpkin, that was gifted to me last year by my dear friend K.J. Shane. Wow. Interesting. So, you know. It's a lot going on. That's a lot. It's a lot going on. But. We can both recommend this and attest to how good this LTC jer- beef jerky is. It's true. It really is. And, you know, it's made 
Marcus put so much care into making his product. He really does. I personally think that if he hadn't become a lawyer, he should have been a chef. Hmm. Chef Marcus. Interesting. I'll have to let that marinate in my brain for a while. <laughs> I don't know if I'm I don't know if I'm comfortable with giving him the chef title so quickly. But he, you know, he's a good kid. He's out there on the streets and he's keeping it real. I like it. I like, yeah. I like his Moxie. I think Moxie's the Moxie, word. Moxie, yeah. Moxie, Moxie Marcus. <laughs> well, I don't know if I'm gonna publicly call him Moxie Marcus because he you know, he is military trained, I'm sure yes. despite how his his handsome demeanor, I'm sure he could take me down like in a heartbeat with some sort of judo chop or like sure. hidden grenade under the sleeve. Yeah. But, so I'm not going to test Marcus, and I always give it the beef jerky a thumbs up, <laughs> mainly because I don't want to get taken out by military no. black ops. You know what I mean? I know that he could just helicopter in and do some crazy damage. If you know, I have saying, no doubt. I have. I'm no just doubt. saying. I feel like it's within his power. Um, I'll say it to 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 assassinate someone, and probably me. And here again, I've known Marcus 25, 30 years. I mean, but do you know him at all? (laughs) Uh, I've seen him after he's come back from being in Bosnia area in all these military confrontations. Interesting. I have a really... And then he just mysteriously came back with all this... Cured meat. <laughs> All right. I'm just saying, I've watched a lot of horror movies, and where my and this is Halloween, so I'm just making, I'm filling in blanks, I'm making connections, I'm just, whatever. Well. I'm not, <laughs> not accusing anyone of yeah. anything. But the one blank we're going to fill in for every, will you stop? The one blank we're going to fill in for everybody is Freestyle 101 Hip Hop yes. History. Yes. Which, Pam. Take a listen to a little bit about Freestyle yes. 101. She's I'm, trying to find it. I'm on. eating meat. So. You're eating meat. It's all good. I'm enjoying this. Did you find it? Oh, she found it. In my assumption. Hey, <laughs> Life is like freestyling. You know, you don't have a set goal. You don't have a set journey. And sometimes you do, and you still get hit with a speed bump. You may stumble, and it may change your whole trajectory, but your end goal is to win. This is the story of Open Mike Eagle and Iron Solomon, bound together by hip-hop, raised in the era of freestyle. Each MC is struggling to make their way in the modern music business and freestyling their way through life. I see words in my head, I line them up, arrange them, and then I said, yeah, I spit them, and that's how I live. Freddie's dead, and his protest. Freestylers have the ability to think on their feet, and as they rhyme, they, they're making the rhyme up as they go along. Ain't nothing like it, so they gonna get answer. Serious is cancer, I was a dancer, then I turned into a lyrical romancer. I'm in a place in the business such where I travel around and am more and more gaining a footing in the independent aspects of rap music. I mean, you're going to mess up. Sometimes you're going to not rhyme. Sometimes you're going to inadvertently dish yourself. It's a lot like a sport. Right now, it's most like boxing. Free inside, no one. Off with the gnomes, spontaneous homes. Pick the word or a tone and jump on the gnomes. Skateboard, slide, grind, and a kid's wheel. Come back with some gangsters, see, walk on in. Free no one, free style, I want no one, free, free style, I want no one.
propel your way through life? Just like music, life is about taking chances. And if you fall off, then you get right back up. Grab the mic, rhyme again. There's, there's your applause, Frank. Yeah, that's why I always hear it in my head. There, there's See, I told your you applause. It was there. Yeah, you know, and you know, so that is actually from the trailer and the opening of the film Freestyle yep. 101. Yep, yep. It's very, very catchy. Yeah, you know, it's funny because that is itself a freestyle. Uh, we had an artist when the the, the film. Um, emanated from a podcast I did back in 2008 through about 2012, and I would have rappers come in and kind of talk about freestyling versus lyricism, knowing that not every rapper was necessarily a great freestyler or even did it anymore, but that it was an area they all started from, and it was sort of you know something that you could talk to that was kind of inside baseball with these guys. And um, early on, we had this uh, artist named Peace from a group called Freestyle Fellowship, which are out of L.A., uh, Lamert Park area. And uh, those guys are all like masterful swordsmen when it comes to this stuff. So he came in knowing he was going to be on a podcast called Freestyle 101. And when I, you know, we did our interview and then it said, hey, pick a beat and I'm going to put you on the mic and, you know, just go as long as just short as you want. He just basically wrapped that like a whole theme to our our whole idea and show and so by the time he finished it i was just like well my god that was a incredible b like we just got a theme song thank you (laughs) and so as the project went on over several years and ended up becoming a documentary film i just always in my head knew that was always going to be the theme song and also the fact that it is a freestyle Mm -hmm. makes it even more awesome since the movie's about both the history of freestyle rap, but also kind of where it lands you now in the music industry, essentially. Well, and this is something that I love because, okay, I knew there was hip-hop, but I never realized that there was freestyle. And that I I just was so mesmerized listening to all of the artists. And as they talk about the differential between gangster rap, freestyle, and I just love the whole idea of freestyle because, as you know, that's pretty much what I do with every interview and all. Right. Uh, there are no questions. We have no questions here, um, as Frank can, can attest to. It's what, you know, it just comes yeah, I from mean, knowing. The term essentially means improvisation. Uh, so even outside of hip hop, like it's used like in skateboarding yeah. when guys are just kind of going for it uh, and making up stuff as they go along and dealing with the the, the environment. Um, it's used in other ways, but it essentially means improvisation. And, you know, as a musician myself, because I came up playing guitar in the rock and roll scene and if you were a lead guitar player then part of kind of what you would learn along the way was this idea of like, well, once you just know your scales and your chops and you kind of have these licks and you've built up this knowledge of how to kind of lace them together in whatever order you want, you um, learn how to improvise and you figure out like, oh, you know, I don't actually have to know the song as long as I know the key and I can kind of sense out the structure or I just sort of know that it's in 4-4 in the key of E and like whatever the rest of the band does, I can kind of go over that and just do my thing. And so as a lead guitar player and a singer, when I got into hip-hop, there were a lot of 
things about the musical aspect of it, the sampling and the rapping and stuff that, that always appealed to me. But when I realized there was this whole subsection within rap music that was actually improvising just mm -hmm. like I was on guitar, I was like, whoa, I, I didn't even know because it's it always seemed so structured to me. Yeah. In, in the sense, you know, most rappers would rap in like 16 bar, you know, Increments, yeah. Increments, and then, you know, a chorus hook might be eight bars or six bars. You know, there was, there was sort of a structure to it because it was DJ-based, uh, and even if the, it was being pulled from a live band, they were grabbing, you know, four bars, eight bars, whatever, a little section and creating a beat off that. So there's sort of always inherently to me a structure in hip-hop, and I never minded that. But then when I realized that, like, oh, they're in this other part of this music genre, there's no structure. And then what happened is, as I went down this path as a fan and then in this movie as a filmmaker, um, I kind of went down the history of what freestyling was and I realized it was it, it broke off into like two areas. So on the West Coast, there's what essentially it's all improvisation. You mm -hmm. can't actually come with lyrics or written or predetermined punchlines. It's frowned upon. If you get up in a freestyle or a battle situation on the West, um, you have to go off the top because the, you, the room is full of rappers and MCs and or like just expert fans. So they'll sense right away like, oh, yeah. that's all way too smooth. It's too informed. Like you, you're cheating, and you'll get booed off like Apollo style. Um, However, and then and then there was a whole movement birthed out of that scene. The Far Side would probably be the biggest group that kind of came out of that. But Freestyle Fellowship and AC Alone and Open Mike Eagle, one of the stars of our film, guys like Pigeon John, guys like um, Bus Driver, who are all improvisational based rappers that ended up becoming songwriters and artists. But they're sort of their artistry is informed by that mm -hmm. jazz influence, that indie rock influence, that ability to not stick so much to the script of even what hip-hop is. Um, on the East, what you got was battling. Mm -hmm. And battling, and it's not so much the people on the West didn't battle, but what battling became out on the East Coast was like sport. Like it became a big deal thing like boxing. There's like championships and people are getting booed and there's, you know, celebrity judges and there's like brands coming in and, you know, products on the line and sponsorships and it's a big deal thing. And you can become a legend in that world and make real money as a battle rapper mm -hmm. and part of battle rapping much like boxing is that you have to come in with some predetermined moves and have to come in with some knowledge of your opponent or you're gonna just gonna get like destroyed mm -hmm. because again the analogy iron solomon who's the battle rapper we follow uses this the boxing analogy a lot but it's like you have to have studied your opponent, but you also have to think on your feet. Yeah. So if you know that, like, this is how they're going to punch and this is their weakness, you can lean into all that. On the other hand, if they decide to throw some surprise at you or just go against everything you've learned, you have to be able to, like, flip the script and react to that. So in a battle situation, guys will go crazy with that knowledge. Like, it'll be like, oh, this guy in his rap says he's a crack dealer, but I found out he went to Catholic school and that his mom was the president of the tennis club <laughs> and his sister's got a speech impediment and is the, and they and they'll go hard on all that stuff and bring it up in a like they'll have you know deadly rhymes calling you out and humiliating you in front of the audience for the sake of winning the audience over and having them all be like oh my god he just you know aired you out dude and so on the other hand you as the guy who's now being you know dissed by this dude, 
you better have a way to come back and react to that. And if all of your tool belt is pre-written and he just called you out on some stuff that like you just didn't expect yeah. or that the audience reacted to in such an enormous way that you're like, well, I got to, I'm compelled to address this now. Or let's say you're in the middle of a battle and just like, some guy in a SpongeBob t-shirt just calls out some stupid ass stuff that, and you're like, well, I mean, how do I not address the elephant in the room? The guy in the spot, you know, you got to yeah. figure out a way to make that all part of your thing. So essentially it broke off into those two, you know, battle rapping on the East, improvising on the West, and that's sort of what the movie kind of lands on is like mm-hmm. we, we go to the history, that's where you land, and then we follow a younger East Coast battle rapper and a younger West Coast improv-based, you know, more like artsy backpack rapper, uh, Open Mike Eagle on the West and uh, Iron Solomon on the East. And then it's the overall thesis at that point is like, okay, you're the fastest gun, gunslinger in the West. Where does that get you in Hollywood? Yeah. Like, can you write a good song? Can you get a record deal? Ooh, yeah. You know, like, what What does it mean to have that specific of a talent, and how do you make a career off that? That's the movie. And with, with a lot of big rap stars in There's it. There's a lot. And Chuck D narrates it from Public Enemy, the greatest voice in hip-hop of all time. I know. And... I, I, we're in outer space all suddenly. We have a lot of mischief happening yes, here today. and mystery. Well, you're here, so that accounts for yeah, both, you yeah. know. But, I mean, you you took us through the basic synopsis of the movie. But I love, one of the things that you have done really well as a director here, that re- is what really impresses me. Because I go into this, and all I knew was, yeah, there was like gangster rap, and, you know, we got Snoop. Love Snoop. Uh, but I didn't know anything about it. I came out with more than a rudimentary education about hip-hop and essentially the battle rap and the freestyle, which, and I just love the philosophies behind a lot of the guys. But what you do is breaking down your through line because there is a definite through line to this documentary. And you could have just freestyled the whole documentary. <laughs> But you did not. But I like how you have structured this, and I'm curious how you developed your through line for this, and which obviously is going to start with who you're getting, what rappers are you getting to speak with. And you don't have just rappers, but you have Ben Caldwell, mm-hmm. who is a well-known fixture in Lamert Park. Yep, love Ben. And you actually get... A PhD or doctor, Dr. Lim. Yeah, from John Hopkins. Talking about doing, you know, studying the cerebral, the prefrontal cerebral cortex of some rappers. Right, yeah. So <laughs> you've got, where do you even start to come up with a through line? Did you just amass everything and then sit down and go, hmm, or... Kind of. Uh, I I mean, I did. There, there was a point where I had amassed a lot of material and I did sort of look back and, you know, kind of took a bird's eye view and went, OK, I think there's a a bigger story to tell here. Um, and that was sort of when I began the second journey of shooting stuff for the film. But the way that it started is that I was at NBC from 2004 to 2015. And uh, mostly I was at a TV network called the G4 TV network. And G4 was like the video game TV 
uh, network, but with like real tech friendly and video game friendly and pop culture friendly. And uh, Olivia Munn was sort of our breakout star from mm. that. She came out of a show called Attack of the Show. And I was a digital producer for the G4 network. And I uh, specifically worked for Attack of the Show and a few other shows. And there was a few of us that would sort of rotate between the shows. I wasn't like the only one for Attack of the Show ever, but I was doing that for a while and at this time. And this was in the earliest days of podcasting and the earliest days of um, web content that wasn't just let's post clips of our shows or let's write an article about something. So when I got to NBC, I came in as a writer. I was a you know, musician forever and I was a writer essentially. And uh, I had written a few books, um, Ramon's book and a Van Halen book and uh I got this gig writing for the website and fairly soon as technology and the entertainment industry and the media started changing, that writer gig became, we need you, would you be interested in producing content? Like grab a camera crew and go start shooting interviews or maybe shoot little web series that are like spinoffs of the shows mm -hmm. or maybe grab one of our hosts and do like a little talk show with them or a review show, that kind of stuff. Chris Gore from Film Thread actually was a... Uh, reviewed dvds on attack of the show and so like yeah. we would do stuff with guys like chris like hey let's review dvds or stuff like that and so because i was i was a musician and i had done some work and i had some background in hip-hop at that point already uh so i said wouldn't it be fun to bring rappers in and have them freestyle rap as much as that's possible i realize not every rapper could freestyle sure. rap uh, and that'd be okay too but if they could then i'd tell them hey work in some video game you know references just enough to make to basically get this thing you know through through the gate and so i started booking essentially just I mean, I was doing everything myself other than... Well, I was filming one of the cameras, too. But uh, And filmmaker Joe Lynch, the guy who directed Suitable Flesh, mm -hmm. which is out uh, this week, and actually. Joe is... Tech, uh, he's your cinematographer. He's the cinematographer on the film and on my last film, Risen. And uh, as is Jason Valdez, who worked on both films as well. But those are my two guys. But Joe and I were working together on Freestyle 101 when it was a podcast. And he was one of the main shooters for that stuff. And so we would bring in rappers i made most of the music myself or with my partner uh eventually that became a little overwhelming and i had to bring in some other beat makers but i would play the rappers a bunch of beats and say pick one that you think you can you know rap over we're going to talk about rapping in the sense of i'm going to bring up freestyling and we'll kind of use that as a talking point for just your early days of rap because i knew every rapper sort of started off you know like beatboxing with their friends at school, you know, banging on the tables and the walls and ciphers with their buddies and battles and stuff with whoever the local, you know, rap bully mm -hmm. was or whatever. So I knew that even if they became an artist in a totally different direction, that like that was a good sort of starting point for a conversation. And then I would kind of interview them more like you would interview Eddie Van Halen about playing guitar, meaning I didn't really care about like, were you in a gang or did you sell crack or jail time like i was yeah, i'll say that's all anyone ever asked these guys so like i'll just let every single other journalist that they ever yeah. talk to interview them about that what i want to know is like how are you doing these multi-syllabic rhymes who are your influences how much are you like a reader of books versus just listening to music who's your influences on like a music level but on the storytelling level and i just found that you got these really unique conversations with these guys because 
they were never asked these questions because right. no one because like no one takes them seriously or certainly at this time there wasn't a lot of conversations with rappers as if they were musicians and mm-hmm. I don't mean as if in my mind they're they serious are. musicians they are but uh, you there wasn't like uh, there wasn't like a guitar player magazine for rappers mm-hmm. um, and the closest thing you'd get at that time would be magazines or you know websites and stuff like the source but again that was much more for the most part about lifestyle stuff at that point it wasn't as much about like the art form so when I had this conversation with the first few rappers it went really well and the show did well like they we meaning the show and it was a web series did well soon enough I was getting bigger rappers soon enough attack of the show saw the web numbers we were getting and then the fact that like I was getting cool Keith and like the alcoholics and these big groups they weren't going on the TV show they were coming on my web series and at some point they were like who, wh- who's Frank Meyer? How is he? How is this guy on our website getting bigger musical guests than we're getting on the show? And they were like, "Well, he's doing the." So they started running them as bumpers, going in and out of commercials. So like, you, they'd go, you know, all right, uh, next we're going to be coming back with an interview with Quentin Tarantino. Right now, it's the Alcoholics, and then they, you'd see the Alcoholics rapping from my, from my little web show, and so. Uh, I did 110 episodes of that. We wow. won tellies, we won webbies, we won W3s, we won Cable Ace Awards, we won tons and tons of stuff for digital content. Every time we won an award, I would insist that they flew me to the city to accept it and that I got to bring Joe or a crew or hire a crew and I'd go use it to shoot content. So, like, if I won the, uh, what was, it was the uh, Webby Award, and they wanted me to go, and it was being like, you know, web streamed, and they wanted me to go and promote G4TV.com. And I was like, sure, send Joe with me, and we're going to get a sound man when we're out there, and I'm going to book, um, get, you know, let me stay for a few days, and we'll book some rappers, and I'll get more content sure. because we're shooting this whole thing in LA. So I'm only getting either LA artists or bands that were like artists that were like on tour, maybe mm-hmm. coming through town. But I couldn't get a lot of the people I wanted to. Because they just didn't live in L.A. And so when they flew me out to New York and they said, okay, we'll let you stay a few extra days. I booked 29 artists in three days. And I got Ice-T, Wu-Tang Clan, M.O.P., Mob Deep, Fat Joe, Sean Price. It was insanity. And I didn't really have a budget. Like they they were flying me out and they put me up in a hotel, but they didn't give me and they flew Joe out. They went for all that. Right. But they didn't give me and they did agree to a sound guy that I picked up in New York. But I didn't have like studio time or a budget Mm -hmm. to book studio time. And, you know, of course, I was calling this press for all the artists and just like, hey, man, I can get you on, on, on NBC rapping. Like, you, you know what I mean? This is press. I can't pay you, but like sign the release. Come be on TV. And everyone was into it. And uh we at one point, Prodigy from Mob Deep, rest in peace, he's not around anymore, uh, was going away the next morning on a gun charge. He and Jennifer Lopez and P. Diddy and 50 Cent were in a Range Rover coming out of I, maybe a Grammy party or something. This was in New York, some, some party. And this was when 50 had signed. Um, 50 had signed Mob Deep and I think was either maybe dating J-Lo or hanging with P. Diddy who was dating J-Lo, but somehow they were all in a in a Range Rover that got pulled over. And guess what? The least famous one, the gangster rapper, suddenly is the one with the gun. Might May have been the case, but I'm also wild guessing that it was more like, uh, 
you're taking the charge. <laughs> you know what oh I mean? Like, God. it's not going to be J-Lo. It's not going to be P. Diddy. It's not going to be 50. 50, you just signed Mob Deep. Prodigy, you're going to jail for two years. Then that record will come out. That's just my take on how that went down. But anyways, so he uh, was going to go and do a two, I think it was a five-year bid, and he got out in two. And um, he had studio time booked and was just cranking out material. But he had it booked through the week, and he was going to jail on, like, a Thursday. Oh and those God. last two days... Like like that Tuesday and Wednesday, he's like, I'm going to be in there, but I'm going to be in like weird hours, basically not during the day. Like he was partying. So he just and this was a guy like I got his number from, I think, Sean Price, who is a famous rapper that's in the movie. He passed away, too. Um, he really dug the show the first time he came on. I called him. He hooked me up with a studio for one night and then he gave me Prodigy's number. I call up Prodigy. Prodigy just goes, you can just use my studio for the next two days. That you're, like the two days before I go to jail, wow. it's yours. And I'm like, well, what time? He goes, whatever. He goes, like, if I get there and you guys are recording, I'll, I'll wait. I'll play some video. Like, I was just like, what? I mean, this guy's a legendary rapper. And he's just like, yeah, I use my studio. So then now I can call all the other rappers that I'm wanting to book and be like, hey, we're, we're doing this at Mob Deep Studio. Boom, I got Wu-Tang. Boom, Ice-T's like, Prodigy Studio, yeah, I'm there. You know, then all of a sudden I called the Locks and uh, I wanted to get them there, but they're like, we have our own compound. This is Jada Kiss and the Locks are like, we have our own compound in Yonkers. And I was like, um, could I come to that? <laughs> And they were like, yeah, I guess so. If you're willing to come out to here to Yonkers, because this is like a rough part of Yonkers. Like, they had a compound because it was a rough part. Not because they're rock stars, but to keep away, you know, like, bullets. So, and you, so like, they were like, if you want to come out, and I'm like, cool, what time? You know, we got a session that's going to end at, like, 8. They're like, well, we don't even start till midnight. So... I was like, all right, so we rolled in at like 12.30 at night into the worst part of, Yonkers has gotten much better, but like at this time, it was not a nice neighborhood. In other words, what you're saying, it's not the Yonkers that we saw in Hello, Dolly. No, and nor is it Yonkers now, which has gone through much like Brooklyn and, you know, and, and Red Hook and other parts of New York have gone through this sort of gentrification, gastropub phase, which Yonkers has, has gotten some of that too, but... The area I was in, there was a, no trace of a Starbucks. <laughs> it was not. It, it had not been gentrified. It had not been gastro pubbed out. And um, but that being said, we got there and they were the coolest guys ever. And suddenly, you know, yeah. just like we were getting a lot of love and a lot of acceptance from big, big, big time rappers who were, you know, hey, come and shoot at our studio. Come to our studio. Use my studio. Let me give you the number of some other fame. Who who do you, who can I help you book? Like, Fat Joe, when, when I finished my interview with Fat Joe, just pulled out his phone and goes, I love this. I love the way you're talking to me about rapping. Any rapper I know wants to be on this show. Who do you, what can I do for you? And I was like, uh, I mean, can you call up, like, show and AG and stuff for me? He's like, yeah, hold on. I was whoa. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, I mean, you know MOP? So you, <laughs> yeah. you have been amassing this content. I've been amassing the content originally for the podcast up for, from 2008 to 2012. Then it occurred to me that once I had over 100 episodes, and I was like, I have everyone in hip-hop talking yeah. about like the, where they're from, the same topics, essentially, and then rapping. And they're all rapping improvised, so in theory, I don't have to clear music rights in the same way that I would if I was using right. the music from the album because it's not album tracks. I have to clear certain things, but I don't have to clear it like it's an album track. There's different ways right. and stuff has to be cleared. Uh, 
Anyways, so at that point, I went to NBC and said, basically, give me a small budget and greenlight this as a documentary. We'll run it on G4 as like a hip hop. You know, at this point, like it's running on the TV anyway. Yeah, There's why a, not? People know what it is. I've got all these guys. Like how? It's, and it's paid for already. Why? Why would we not do it? So they did, and that. I spent the next three years shooting this. Basically, all the SD stuff is the podcast. All the HD stuff is everything after I said, let me make a documentary. At that point, I knew it wasn't going on the internet. We switched. As soon as they started airing it to TV, we switched to, you know, we switched to better cameras Mm -hmm. and started shooting it in better, you know, 1080 and stuff. Up to that, it was just like, they were like, shoot it in 720. It's not going anywhere. And I did for like 35 episodes. Killer artists I only have in SD format because we just didn't know. I didn't know it was going to, any of this was going to happen. But eventually I did. And we shot all the stuff with Open Mike Eagle and all the stuff with Iron Solomon and a lot of the more, some of the interviews that just you can just tell, like Pete Rock and Master Ace, yeah. that stuff looks really good um, because at that point we, we knew we were making a you documentary. Had better equipment. Yeah. And then what happened is that then NBC canned the entire G4 TV network. Mm-hmm. They fired every single person around me <clears throat> except for me. And my boss, Rob Juster, who's become since my partner on all these films, and a few handful of our friends. And they pulled us into a sequestered room and said, basically, keep your heads low. Everyone you know is getting fired right now, but you're not. So just chill out, ride through this storm, and then you're going to have a new job. And we're like, all right. What new job? And they're like, at the new Esquire Network. Ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) we partnered up with Esquire Magazine to create a a network that nobody wants and no one will ever watch. And that's true. It it was a terrible idea. They they wanted to do a men's lifestyle network except without any sports, without any women, and without any point of view that didn't get more complicated than um, a pocket square or a Sazerac. Oh, my God. So that God. was sort of the entire philosophy of the network. It was oh sort of like the sharper God. men's catalog, except without any actual sharp men. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, brain-wise. Um, <laughs> and I had made a film that NBC had already paid for, but that starred a lot of black people talking about hip-hop. And you're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe how this pitch meeting went <clears throat> when I went to them and said, I already have a movie. It's just almost done. It's entirely shot. You've already paid for it, and it stars a 100 of the most famous rappers in history. All you have to do is not throw it in the trash, <clears throat> and, like, you got this. <laughs> and, and I'm paraphrasing this meeting because that's, that's not exactly how I yes. put it. And it, but to paraphrase, their answer was, no, we'll throw it in the trash. Uh, like They basically just was like, we have no use for this. We're not a hip-hop network. We're not a music network. Oh, my God. And, and honestly, I think w- no one ever, there was no racism involved. But I just, I definitely feel like if you look at the content of what they were doing, they were not going for a music audience, clearly. Mm-hmm. But I just think, like, these weren't rich, like, like you know, not that they're not rich. A lot of these guys are humongously rich. But these are hip-hop artists who inherently were telling stories from the streets and not exactly the the uh, person that the uh, 
these aspirational, they sharply wearing... dressed, yeah. you know, dapper men that uh, the network was going for, regardless of color. But then you also had guys, you know, like Little Fame from MOP with giant gold fronts. You know what I mean? Guys, tough looking. You know what I'm saying? So I think they just looked at this content. And they're like, no, no, this is not our bracket. So they passed on the whole thing, and we lost all the rights to the footage. And the only silver lining to that was that one of the rappers that I had shot for the podcast was a guy named Hellraiser. And Hellraiser was a Wu-Tang Clan affiliate, and I knew him back in the 90s because in my earliest days in show business, I was a publicist. And when I was a publicist, one of the groups I handled was called Sons of Man. They were a Wu-Tang Clan offshoot group. So I knew those guys. Another member who went on to real fame is Kill a Priest. Kill a Priest was the second guest on Freestyle 101. Prodigal Son from Sons of Man was the fourth guest. Like, I knew these guys. So these were guys I could call and be like, hey, guys, I'm doing a show. Can you come be on it? Help a brother out? And they'd be like, yeah, we got you. And they would, you know, help me, introducing me to other artists. And it gave me a little credibility that I had a couple artists kind of in my corner. Um, so while... After I had, so when I went to New York on the trip with Ice T mm -hmm. and all that stuff and Sean Price, uh, we also shot Hellraiser. And then, right around the time when I knew that we were making a documentary, Hellraiser had a brain aneurysm and mm. lost the whole left side of his body, the ability to walk, the ability to rap. And I thought, well, as, that's insane. And when I talked to him, and this is, like I said, a guy that I've known for a long time, he was kind of downplaying how serious it was. And another one of my, like, go out to New York and go scoop up some awards, I was like, well, hey, I'm going to roll out there and come pay you a visit. And when I saw how bad he was, I was like, whoa, like, maybe, maybe I should be kind of helping him you know and i talked to him about this idea of like what if we kind of you know talk on camera and sort of help shine a light on your story and so an original version of this movie the third storyline was going to be hellraiser but what happened is we lost the rights his his story was a little bit more complicated and quite frankly a lot more dramatic than i originally anticipated so when all the stuff went down with G4, I just kind of was like, well, I don't need them to tell his story. Like, that's ongoing. He's not, yeah. you know, right now, he's in the throes of all this drama in his life. And, yeah, okay, maybe there's some footage I lose, you know, uh, from if, if I can't get it back from NBC at some point. But, like, I have stuff from him going back from the Sons of Man days that I shot myself. And I can run out right now and go shoot him in New yeah. York. And I don't need anyone's permission to do that. So me and Joe Lynch just and Rob Juster just kept shooting and shooting more stuff with Reza. And over time, Rob negotiated getting back the footage from NBC. So by the time we got it back, I was knee-deep in the Hellraiser movie. We were able to use that footage, put it mm -hmm. in, and that just became its own movie. Because like I said, when right. I when it first happened, I was kind of like, geez, maybe, you know, kind of interesting, you know, I mean, a rapper not being able to rap anymore, and we're talking yeah. about the art of verbal abilities, like maybe that could be, maybe we don't give up on his storyline, maybe it becomes part of the movie. But then quickly, I was like, yeah, if I'm going to go down this path with Rays of telling his story, this is not a part of a movie. Like, it, this it's is a like, movie. This is a movie. Like, yeah. he's also going through like a spiritual journey. And, you know, it's just, it, it was a much more, um, 
emotional and in-depth, multi-tiered, multi-layered journey that he was going through. So I broke that off into the movie Risen, the story of Sharon Hell Hellraiser Smith. And meanwhile, while we gained all the footage back, I eventually I was able to start tackling the Freestyle 101 movie, Hip Hop History, of which is done and released right now. At what point did you actually start the editing process of Freestyle 101? Because the structure is so well done. I love Thunder. Oh. I love Thunder. Um, no, I love the structure. Because there is a definite structure to the film. But I love the editing. Number one, I love so much of Joe's camera work. And some of the yeah, other guys you have doing camera. You, The camera, it's very fluid. It, You get a lot of dutching. You get really... Uh, it gets unique. really in your face during the rap, which it I like really too. So you can really study these guys, you know, sort of facial expressions. And it's almost, in many instances, you actually can see into... Almost their soul, what's going happening behind their eyes. Yeah. The wheels are turning as they're going. But um, to have this much, the editing is very crisp. It's very sharp. And it's very cohesive, and it makes sense. There was, there was a, I was lucky in that, you know, all of the original episodes um, had been edited by me when they were web episodes, you know, when they were part of the podcast. So there was some material that when I went into this as a documentary, um, essentially, like, I knew, like, oh, I love that Capadonna rap from Wu-Tang. I'm going to use that. I basically just used my original cut. I might have massaged it and trimmed it a little bit, but I had done a cut of the multi-cameras on that that was all synced up to the music and sounded and looked good, and I essentially used those cuts when it applied. So... When I went into this, there was some work already done, but really only with that archival stuff from the web series, none okay. of the newer stuff. Uh, as far as, um, and then so, and I started cutting the rest of that stuff in 2015, basically, right before G4 collapsed. I started editing the version of the movie mm -hmm. that also starred Hellraiser. Um, and it was when G4, I, no, I'm sorry, I guess that would have been closer to 2012. But somewhere in there, I'd started editing it. And then when we lost the footage and Razor went through his thing, I just sort of stopped for a while and kind of pulled back from it. And then when I reconvened, I went in the direction of Razor and didn't touch this thing really until COVID. It was COVID when I went, well, I guess I suddenly have a lot of time on my hands. I guess I should start going through those DV, I mean, through those drives and looking at my old cuts and looking at where I, wherever I left off. I didn't even remember. Um, but as far as the structure goes, the one thing I knew is that I didn't want the movie to be just talking heads talking about freestyling. Right. Because the one thing that I am not a fan of with documentaries, period, and, a, and music documentaries are really guilty of this, is that they just have people talking about things. And there's two lanes to that. One is they have people talking about things because they don't have the rights to the footage. And so you don't ever get the payoff footage you want to see. Right. You know, all these talking heads and then boom, you see this incredible performance. And you go, oh, I yeah, you never. Yeah. Like that. So that's always yeah. kind of disappointing when you just get the talking heads and you don't even get the payoff. But even if you do get those great moments, I still feel like I need more than that to be to really feel emotionally connected to a documentary. There has to be something, you know, about the performer or the storytelling or or we go in deep with some characters, mm -hmm. something 
to sort of make me emotionally attached to it. So it's not just people. To, and then in 1973, this interesting person did something interesting. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? I'm like, well, yeah, but I mean, I don't know. Here's the footage. And you're like, okay, but I mean, couldn't I just go on to YouTube and you watch do, that and, and go, that's, yeah, that's uh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, I didn't need you to put those pieces together. Like, g- give me more. So I like the documentaries that get, where they sort of follow the not the characters, the people, you know, or or the characters you meet along the way that you just get a little bit more meat to the bone. So when I, I what I knew I had was all these great people talking about this art form of freestyling. I didn't originally, and I also knew that 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 lent itself to telling the history of freestyling. I had mm-hmm. enough people telling yeah. it from the L.A. point of view, the New York point of view, the Midwest guys talking about how they heard it from L.A. or New York, the Southern guys, but. I was like, okay, that's pretty interesting, but that feels like a half an hour long. That's not a feature. You know what I mean? That could be a half an hour web thing or something. To make it a feature to me, it needed some meat. And if it needed, it needed to follow some people. And I thought it would be more interesting to follow some younger guys that were influenced by this or came up in that philosophy, Mm -hmm. in that scene. And where does it lead them now? And I think a lot of where I related to that is that coming up in the 80s and 90s in the rock world, you know, the big thing was guitar players. You had to have a smoking lead guitar player. And this is the post-Eddie Van Halen world, especially Mm -hmm. here in L.A., where if your lead guitar player isn't shredding, like, you weren't in the conversation. And it was like this gunslinger thing, and that's where I came up in. And I'm a, you know, I've learned to be a really good guitar player because I came up in the era when, like, you had to be a really good guitar player or you, you know, again, kind of like with freestyle, you got booed off stage. You had to be a good rhythm player. You had to be a good lead player. You had to do some flashy stuff, but you also had to be a little bluesy because any of that you could have to pull out of your tool belt. So when... I, as music went on, I saw that that skill set became less honored. So nowadays, there are no real young guitar heroes. There's lots of great guitar players in young there bands. No, we don't have... There's no Slashes or Jimmy Pages. None of these I, iconic... I was just going to say, we don't have Jimmy Pages. We don't have The Edge. No, yeah. There's nobody to fill Brian May's shoes. I mean, That's the, for damn sure. The show. last guys are, are the guys who've been around for a while now. You know, I mean, sure, it's, you know, Slash, Dave Navarro, Dave Grohl, Tom Morello. But they, those guys have been around since the 80s and 90s. So, I mean you know, all respect due, but they're not like the young class, you know right. what I mean? So I could relate to this idea as a guitar player that like I came up in the era when you had to do a lot of woodshedding to even have a conversation about being a guitar player. And if you were going to, God forbid, get up on stage or go up opening for, for bigger bands, you had to really hold your own and at least not be booed off stage. But, you know, yeah. if you wanted to make it, you had to be pretty good. You might have taken a long time to get there and had to eat a lot of uh, crow along the way. But that's what you do to become, you know, a craftsman at what you do. You know, you do it a thousand times, you do it 10,000 times, you do it 20,000. You just keep on doing it till you can do it with all limbs behind your, tied behind your back. But what does that get you? Because now what it gets you in rock and roll is, um, what's the word? Nothing at all. That- I mean, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter if you're a great guitar yeah. player. If you can write a good hook, that's a way more important thing because that's just sort of how pop music has evolved. That was my analogy with the freestyling thing is that I was like, okay, all these dope rappers, all these guys that have this ability to do this super specific thing and are just dazzling artists with dazzling wordplay, but, like, where does that get you in this, like, 
pop driven, hook driven, you know, if we're in an ice spice world, what does it mean to be a, a Micah Nine or a Razkaz or, you know, one of mm -hmm. these great artists, like a great freestyler, a great lyricist, when these days you could just write a hook with munchies in it and sell and a zillion it. records. Yeah. And so then people are just like, well, why would I need to hear all those words and like all that complicated meaning and ugh, history and stuff you know what i mean but it's like well i don't know are you in, into like interesting music that might challenge you intellectually and be really cool to listen to but these days it's like no nah, nah, no i don't know you got a song about like something i could just eat and like or maybe just be in a jacuzzi and you know like that'd be cool <laughs> you know what i mean it's you know, like, see, what? You know the hell happened to music see even the ghosts are popping up here as you i know talk about that, that was the ghost of freestyle past by the way obviously yeah, but so anyways, you know, that's sort of also something that we explore uh, in the film is just this idea of craftsmanship within yeah. music, this idea that, you know, of course, writing a great song is the, the lost treasure of all music. I mean, if you can write a hit song and you can spend the whole rest of your life, if you're lucky enough to spend the rest of your life playing one song that, or, or a whole album of the song that people grew up on, that people loved, that changed their lives, that they got married to, the, that's the greatest gift in the world. But if not, you just keep playing anyways and just try to keep getting out there and you know, there's, there's shoot your guns. There's only one Paul McCartney. Yeah, there's only one Elton John and Bernie well, Taupin. True, true, but there's but there's lifers. You know what I mean? For every yeah. for, there's an Elton John, there's a Leon Redbone. You yeah. know what I mean? Guys who maybe are just as talented, not quite as famous, yeah. but go out there and just keep working. And I mean, Leon Redbone, rest in peace. But you know, there's with all with, you know, it's like for, like we always talk when you and I are both movie buffs, where it's like there's the movie stars, and then there's the much, 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 much bigger. Uh, field of the working of actor. the working actors guys like my brother guys like tim thomerson who you know i'm a big fan of you yeah. know like the your 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 character actors who could be a cop in this thing a fireman in this thing a secretary here a wife there uh you know a small role a big role a dramatic role a comic role a, a period piece doesn't matter because they're working actors and this is yeah. what they do for a living and like that's why and, and they're craftsmen yeah. craftspeople i guess would be a better term now. yeah but you know you're an expert at what you do because you've done it so many times and that's why people like that always work uh -huh. you know same thing with us musicians it's like I mean, I've been playing gigs since I was 12 years old. I've never stopped, ever. Never once. Well, Just... you also can't afford to. No, but I do it. I mean, I can't, it's not yeah, that. There are other things you could do. But well, maybe. yeah, but I, I, I'll <laughs> quote. There's a great artist I know named Pat Todd. He's a, a, a country and punk rock artist. And uh, he's someone that I've admired for a long time. And he has been doing it for a long time. And he's a craftsman at what he does. He's an artist. He's great but he's never sold the kind of records of like you know the big hit people mm -hmm. and one time our bands uh my band the street walking cheetahs and his band pat todd and the rank outsiders were playing a gig together and it was not so greatly attended and we were not <laughs> taking home a ton of money but we were both you know just going in there and doing what we do meaning you know i'm from the school where it's like you play for three people 30 people 300 3000 you put you do the same show you just yeah. always you always come in a game everything yep. cuz you also never know who those three people are you know mm -hmm. i've done a gig where yeah. it was seven people in the audience and one of them was the editor of rolling stone and we got in rolling stone you know what i mean like it happens that right there taught me that rule of like 
just always, you know, bring your A game and pretend. If you're not sure, just pretend like there's a lot of people there. Yep. But I got used to that. One time when I, I had this conversation after the gig with Pat and I handed him the insulting amount of money that we'd made that night. And again, there's a guy who, whose talent I consider to be immeasurable and I was handing him an insultingly low. Uh, same thing I was making, but, you know, I felt as bad for him as I did for myself. And I said, Pat, man, you know, I just love that you came out and did this. I wish I could pay you more. You know how it is. We just made our piece of the door. I'm splitting it with you. And, you know, our band takes half, you band half. But, uh, you know, I just love that you're still doing this. And if I give you a call, you, you know, still down to come and rock. And he goes, Frank, I do this because if I don't, I'll die. That is how I feel about art. That is how I feel about music. That's how I feel. I do this because if I don't, I will die. And I have been doing it continuously since 12 years old, playing music, making films, writing, writing books, writing scripts, just whatever. Because literally whenever I decide I've retired, I will not probably go more than two weeks of breathing air before I just go, boom, done. Like My body is only meant to be creative. And one other thing that my wife will attest to. Oh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> but besides, so besides those two things, uh, there's just tooth well, and also uh, drinking fine wine. No, okay, so those three things, those are the only three things in the whole world that I need. <laughs> and oh then my God. I can get through the day. But without, uh, it's going to be a problem. Oh, no. And LTC beef jerky. beef jerky. These four things is all I need. <laughs> Four things, well, and, and this table. Oh my God! And anyone He's, catching that I'm doing the jerk? The movie? The yes, jerk? Okay. I know exactly I know. what you're doing. Thank you. I know exactly what you're Thank doing. You. Now, I mean, even though we're already after twelve o'clock, everybody knows the show runs over always, always because Thank that's you. me. But I, oh, and me too. I'm. I don't know if you guys have figured it out. I'm long-winded. We both are. I'm See, like David Lee Roth. I interviewed David Lee Roth a bunch of times. You'd ask him one question, and a half, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes later, you'd be like, well, I mean, you pretty much covered everything. Dave, I guess I'll move on to a second question. Um, yeah. Well, it's very much like my dear, dear friend, Dion Taylor. Dion. I'm often not- compared to Dion Taylor. Really? Lots of ways, yeah. Yes, Dion just released his top 14 his he calls it his grail, his holy grail of horror movies. Okay. He released it this morning. It's hilarious. Well, you know, uh, my that, movie's not on there, of course, but only because it's not a horror it's movie. Not a I'm horror sure movie. he would have put it on there because Dion and I are. But then he like had to, he did an addenda about just his movies that are his favorite horror movies, which okay. I just cracked up as I was listening. to I that. should do a list of. Oh, you know what? I'm going to do that right now. Frank Meyer's Best by Frank Meyer. <laughs> Why not? But now I would be remiss, even though we're talking about hip hop um, and surviving, because you've really covered the survival aspect uh, quite well, and you're a perfect example of that, even though you don't do hip hop. But what you do is you front the street walking cheetahs. I sure do. You got Highway 61. I sure do. And don't you have new th- recordings that have come out? Well, yeah, what I've got is. Uh... So the Streetwalking Cheetahs are my punk rock band that's been around uh, since the 90s, and we've made a lot of records, and we do a fair amount of touring and playing gigs, and we're going to Spain in uh, March to promote a new EP we're putting out in Europe called Call the Dogs, and uh, we're also doing a single in Spain uh, to promote that tour as well. 
And then meanwhile, I have this blues rock band called Highway 61 that actually is the band I started in high school and just we all stayed friends and we decided to reunite for a gig and a recording and suddenly it became an album and um, the album's called Driving South, so that's out as well. And that's coming out on vinyl in uh, next month. The pre-orders just started yesterday, actually. Uh, so that's very exciting. I love vinyl. And then I started a band based in Europe called Trading Aces that I call Sleaze Metal, which is sort of Guns N' Roses-y, kind of um, Aerosmith-y, sort of sleazy rock and roll, Sunset Strip Metal kind of vibe. Uh, ACDC, I guess, would be the, the, the best sort okay. of summing it all up. And But the idea with that was that I wanted to, I really enjoy touring Europe, but it's expensive to get an American band to Europe. And so the Cheetahs do it sometimes. We've done it a bunch of times before we're doing it coming up. But to do it on a regular is just not it's, always realistic. Yeah. Whereas, and see where my headspace is here. Okay. If I started a band where everyone was already in Europe and were already established musicians and kind of famous and had, you know, like a van and backline of gear and maybe even an extra guitar amp for the kid, that I would be the only one that would have to fly over and one plane ticket with all the gear waiting for me becomes much more doable. So me and some fellows I met uh, from some different bands uh, that are European-based, like the City Kids and Warrior Soul, started writing songs, made a record. I went to Copenhagen. We all met in Copenhagen, finished the record, shot some music videos, shot some promo photos, came back, uh, hustled us a record deal with uh, Ripple Music. Album came out. We went to Europe a few months ago and toured for that record. We're now working on a second record, and we're going back to Spain in January and then the UK in March and then doing a summer fall tour of all of Europe after that for the next record. So that's you know, that's basically when I... And then I also uh, sing with James Williamson from uh, the Stooges, Iggy and the Stooges, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame band. When he's not with Iggy Pop, <clears throat> I uh, sing for him. And I sing for this, uh, I play guitar and write and produce for this guy named Thor, the heavy metal gladiator named Thor, who the first movie that I produced was called I Am Thor. And it was a documentary about my heavy metal friend from Canada. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I make music, make movies, and I've also written like eight books. But and of course, what you're telling me right thing. now, listening to next year's schedule, is I'm not going to see too much of you next year. Uh, just for chunks of time. I'm sure exactly, you know, when I get back, I'll be right back to backstage in the corner in my normal spot. But but I uh, will definitely be drinking in other parts, other dark corners yeah, of well, the world for Well, many just months. remember, you and I share... We we trade off on that corner. Yeah, understood, understood. It's been my corner a lot longer. I listen. Hey, if I come in, you're in that corner. I but I, I, I defer I to am, your judgment. I'm always willing to relinquish. And it. we can share the corner sometimes yes. too. You know. Yes. Yes. Just we two can. kids sharing a corner. Nothing weird about that. No. Nope. You know. <laughs> As we talk about everybody and everything. Yes, and eat LTC okay. beef, beef jerky. jerky. <laughs> Coming at you. <ya. laughs> Now, before we go today, though, because tomorrow is Halloween. It sure is. You know what I'm doing? Uh, I'm going to go see uh, Suitable Flesh by Joe Lynch, starring Barbara Cramden and Heather Graham in the theaters at Alamo Drafthouse tomorrow on Halloween. 
Because A, I love horror. B, I love Halloween. C, I love Joe Lynch. And D, I love Barbara Crampton. And, you love, and Q, I love H.P. Yes. Lovecraft. So. You love Barbara Crampton. And Barbara, I love her. She is a friend. She's the greatest. I just, I adore her. I don't know her, but I feel, it's more that I want to know her. I just, I've, she's been like my, my movie queen. You know, like I saw Reanimator and From Beyond opening nights in the theaters when I was a kid. I've seen not, I mean, she's done a lot of great movies, so I don't know that I've seen everything, but any iconic or even semi-iconic role she's done, uh, I've seen, and I'm a very big fan. And the fact that she teamed up with my man, Joe Lynch, is so awesome. And also, Joe is kind of my mentor. He, Joe Lynch is the guy who essentially told me I should become a director. And when I gave him reasons why I shouldn't. He uh, immediately dismissed them, and uh, and that's how I became a director. <laughs> so now, I can't close out the show today without finding out from you. Since I listened to Dion's top four, his his fourteen best horror movies, plus four of his own films, um, what would you say? Like your top five, top ten? What do you think are the best horror movies? Of all time? Of all time. And I'm answering my favorites as opposed to, you know, like the greatest. Meaning there's a difference between like, you know, the greatest movie versus your favorite. I'm going to go with my favorites. Okay. My all time, hands down favorite, Evil Dead 2. Directed by Sam Raimi. It's a comedic remake of his own movie, Evil Dead 1. It is, I've... I literally watch it probably two, three times a year. It is, to me, the most creative, the most ambitiously shot independent movie of all time, hands down. Uh, I would then go John Carpenter's The Thing, right under that. Again, groundbreaking special effects, all practical. It's pre-CGI. And it's also a great study uh, intention because that whole movie takes place in one small area, and it's really just everyone getting paranoid and turning on each other. So I really like that. Uh, then, I mean, I know this is going to sound redundant, but, I mean, i got to put Evil Dead 1 in that top five, because it's even though it shares similarities, it's so tonally different. Different from Evil Dead 2. And, and, Evil Dead 2, yeah. And also... Evil Dead 2 is not necessarily scary, although it does have lots of, you know, sort of terror moments, uh, but it's not necessarily very scary, I don't think. Evil Dead 1 is super scary. And, like, it's one of, even when I watch it today, I'm just like, oh, holy mackerel. That movie is no joke. So, okay, so those are three. Uh, I got to put Reanimator. I mean, it's almost a tie between Reanimator and From Beyond, but um, I'm going to go with Reanimator because that was first and also. It's probably genuinely more scary. There's more of a sci-fi vibe with From Beyond. So I'll go reanimate. And also Barbara Cramden. You know, come on. Anything I mean, with Barbara. You, you you put Barbara Cramden in a movie. You I, saw the I'm movie from a couple years ago she did with Larry Fessenden. Uh, it's called... Uh, and the name is Escaping Me and She's Gonna Kill Me. Larry's Gonna Kill Me. I can't remember the name not of it. In, was it Into the Void? Uh, no, 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 not no, the no, void. no, no, um, no. She played his wife. He was a minister. Oh, I don't know. And she turns into a vampire, and I can't think of the name of the film, and both well, of them are going to kill me. She does great work, and it's a testament to how great she is that she works so often that, you know, even a fan like She's me is like, I haven't seen them all. Like, you know, like, I, I, like Frank Zappa is one of my all-time heroes, 
there's tons of Frank Zappa records I don't have. Yeah. Like, there's just so much. Because and it's it's because it's not because I'm not a hardcore fan. It's because there's a body of work there that is just really yeah. remarkable. Wait, I still have a fifth movie. Yeah. From, uh, ooh. Um, I feel like I should choose something modern because I'm going with a lot of throwback stuff. Uh, so I'm going to go with a modern one, and I'm going to go with Hereditary because that movie is ridiculously scary, and it's ridiculously manipulative and just effed up, which I just love. You know, it's a great it's a great movie, and it's and it's got also killer acting, which you know really helps any movie. <laughs> That's an interesting. I mean, I could go, list. I could, and I could go with ten more oh. horror movies. But those are probably my four favorite old school movies, and Hereditary is probably the most the modern movie uh, where I just kind of went like, whoa, like man. Although I re- also really liked, um, oh, what was the one with the Airbnb movie? Uh, you know, Down in the Cellar, Justin Long, and uh, it was a um, big hit uh, a year ago. Uh uh, anyway, um, I'll think of it in a second. But anyways, I know you yeah, there you go. Very nice. Thank you. But see, you say you go back. No, no, no. I go way back. Yes. Well, I was going from my, my golden era of when I got oh. into you know, it's like 80s, late no, 70s. See, you know. I go back to some of my all-time favorites are definitely Vincent Price, The House of Wax, not Great. the remake. I like the 80s remake, not the 90s remake, though. Oh, no, I was thinking of Waxworks. Never mind. You're thinking of Wax? No, yeah. no. Zach Galligan, which is terrific. No. The original. House of Wax, Vincent Price. The original, Silent. The Phantom of the Opera. By the way, do you know, have I, have we discussed, you know that my daughter is the great-great-granddaughter of Lon Chaney? Yes, you yeah, mentioned that. Yeah, I mentioned that. Okay, yeah. Just thought I'd mention that. And the Phantom of the Opera, kind of related, whatever. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. But I love the the silent. Oh, Barbarian! Ch- that's the Airbnb horror. Oh, movie. that's Barbarian. okay. Yeah, it's a great one too. But but I'm gonna go with Hereditary. Go but ahead. of course, Nosferatu, the original silent. I'm also related to a Nosferatu, actually. No, I'm kidding. No, I, I, I would believe that you are. <laughs> um, but I, you know, and then of course, you know, the quintessential, Psycho. Yep. Yep. Psycho okay. is great, and and for a newer horror film, because it takes a lot for me, and it's not so much horror. I don't get scared in movies. I want to know what's really, it's the unseen. It's the whole idea that Hitchcock had of what you don't see. Let your mind mm-hmm. play. Which is why I do have to include in one of my top horror films of all time, for me, is Dion Taylor's film Fear that came out earlier this year. There you go. Wow. Quite a Dion, you've made quite an impact here. Oh, Dion knows. Oh, you Dion. Know. You know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I see all horror movies. I mean, not all, but I, I pretty much see anything that's got any kind of yeah. buzz, big, small, uh, and I love them. And I love cheese. I also like. I overtly watch a lot of terrible B. Oh, you know, stuff. Tubi is like my favorite thing in the world. I just. Watch, I know you I just love that. Crank through Tubi, just watching. Well, I admit, I actually splurged this weekend, and instead of watching screening links that I need to watch, I went on a Hammer Horror Fest. Nice. I love the Hammer Horror films of the 50s and the 60s. And you don't mean movies about people being assaulted with a hammer. No, you mean I'm, the genre of... No, oh, gotcha. I'm talking about one of the greatest horror studios sure. in the history of film. Peter Cushing. Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee. Yep. I watched all kinds of Dracula movies. Uh, this weekend, mm-hmm. and I have to tell you, 
as Dracula, I mean, Christopher Lee has had some of the most spectacular deaths in cinema history. I'm a Frank Langella guy. Well, I, uh, yeah, I like Frankland. Frank I swear the- to God, I remember seeing that when I was a kid, and like for the longest time, my version of Dracula in my head was Frank Langella. Fra- uh, Frank Langella is probably the sexiest. You what know, about Dracula. Uh, what about uh, who was in? Um, Colin Farrell isn't too bad what in about, Fright Night, the Fright Night remake. Love at First Bite. Who was in that one? I forget who's in that one. That seventies one. Yeah, I know which one you're talking about. No, I love Frank Langella. Wasn't it George Hamilton? Yes. yes. <laughs> it sure was, what? George Hamilton. And also <laughs> Nicolas Cage. He was in a, a, a Vampire's Kiss. Well, and that then was a he has, one. and then the new film from Nicolas Cage. Oh, Renfield, Renfield. which is great, by the way. That yeah, is yeah. an amazing, the cinematography. Nicolas Cage is just like, he's on a tear. Like the last few years. Willie's Wonderland? He, Willie's Wonderland. Pig. Yeah, I mean, he's just from, like, a different planet at this point, you know? Like, I, yeah. Oh, um, the unbearable... Um, oh, unbearableness weight, of being like, or uh, whatever. The unbearable uh, weight of weight talent. Weight of talent, yeah. absolutely hysterical. Nickel- and then Mandy. To, Mandy is, is one of the most unique, insane movies of all time. I mean, quite frankly, that's a, that's a movie that when you when I think about, like, recent movies where I just went, like... Well, I've never seen anything like that before. Like a heavy metal horror movie where every single person is on acid and the movie shot from the point of view of every single person being on acid. Like it, it's a movie that's sort of Easy Rider and sort of Hellraiser at the, at the you know, Cenobites and demon bikers. And then the whole music soundtrack is all doom metal and it's shot like an art film and the lighting. It's, that movie is insanity. So, you know what? Now, ooh, do I replace Hereditary? I'm going to stick oh, with Hereditary. Oh, God. No, I'm going to stick with Hereditary. But Mandy's another very impressive uh, you piece know, of work. Uh, you know, for all the listeners, this is what Frank and I sound like every time we're at the backstage. That's true. We go on tangents. But probably louder because alcohol's involved. So Sometimes you know, louder. You know, uh, let's, I mean, I'm assuming. I, I'm, I know me. I, I, for me, louder. <laughs> but sometimes if we're sitting like... A yeah, few seats sure. away. Then we gotta, then, we then we, yell over then Marcus. Then we have to yell. We have to yell over Marcus, yeah. Mr. LTC Beef Jerky. You got that right, partner. You know, but <laughs> I am so thrilled that you were here today. Thank you. I mean, a Halloween show is perfect for you. I do enjoy horror. I know. I know. And, of course, I'm sure if we're at the bar, if, we're, if we run in. Oh. Hey. Wilhelm. hey can't have can't have Halloween show without hearing from Wilhelm, the most famous scream in history. That's true. Of course, you know that was before anybody ever heard me scream. <laughs> but we won't go there. But so we'll probably end up talking movies later today. I won't see you tomorrow. That's because, true. Y- well, you've got your Alamo Draft House, but I also am going to be interviewing. Uh, a wonderful filmmaker who has made some dandy horror films, Miles Doliak. Oh, excellent. Miles is an Jerem- uh, film, it's called Open, stars Lindsay Ann Williams. Miles also is in it and directs Jeremy London. It is the best thing Jeremy London has ever done. You guys, uh, you should get Joe Lynch and Barbara Cramden on together because Barbara and Joe are both doing press for their film right now. 
and uh, suitable flesh out now in theaters. Uh, but boy, th- Joe's a fun, funny yeah, guy. And I also, do. Joe, you know, like I said, Joe shot both of my documentaries, so uh, he can tell you lots of fun. Yeah. He could tell you some Frank Meyer stories that you might Joe not Joe is get on from me. my list of, of people I want to interview. He's, uh, Joe's seen some, some, some pretty um, personal. Frank Meyer moments. Oh God, <laughs> uh, that's scary. Now we've that sh- we've shared me. rooms together, we've d- gone on okay. long road trips together, that seen each other fully me. nude. I mean, it's just really a. No. It'll be an in-depth interview, I think. But no, I actually I'm driving into Hollywood because the premiere of Miles's new film, Open, which is totally different than anything he's ever done, um, is Wednesday at the Chinese Six. Okay. So I'm actually going instead of doing phoners. Since the whole, you know, the cast is is going to be there, there together, I'm going to go sit down with them tomorrow wow. afternoon. You're taking it to the streets. Taking it to the streets. Wow. I don't know if uh, you're familiar with the streets of Hollywood these days, but yes. it's horrible. Yes. <laughs> this is why I said to him. You might see a dead guy. <laughs> well, this is why I said, he's like, well, you know, what about, you know, Tuesday night or so? Or I said, uh, I said I'm not going to be in Hollywood on Halloween night. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. no, no. no. That, it's going to be a, a, no. a, an S show yes. down there for sure. But, uh, but. I suppose that is all the time we have today. Radio. As, as Pam has been in there laughing and laughing. You know, Frank has gotten to eat jerky. He gets to take some jerky with him. Very excited for the sheer amount of cured meat that uh, that's happening on this show. And of course, did you smell these? It oh, I sure did. So fresh. Well, I'm smelling it from the inside because I've already oh. eaten most of this package. But, but yes. no, it's <laughs> me- when I opened mine because they're ziplocked. Oh, so it's an aromatic sensation. I mean, it just smells so fresh. Yeah. And all of Marcus, all of the the TLC beef jerky, or the LTC beef jerky made with TLC, Mm. um, it is. It's very fresh. Yes. Well, some of that's my cologne you're probably smelling, too. I have kind of a honey beef (laughs) smell about me. Um, I just got a really terrific reaction there, right? <laughs> Honey beef. Yeah, Pam's having fun today. So, but anywho, my movie, it's incredible. Everyone go watch it. Amazon Prime, Google Movies, YouTube Movies, Google TV, Google Things. And I want you to know Amazon Prime. Even though I had already seen it, I did spend 4.99 on Amazon Prime to watch it again last night. Yay! Before today. Awesome. So you owe me four ninety nine. I'll buy. Uh, you, I'll pay uh, it in alcohol or <laughs> beef. I'm telling. <laughs> but Marcus doesn't charge us for it. Shh. Well, we get samples from him when he sure. tries out new recipes. Yeah, yeah. So and we pay top dollar for those samples. Yes, for sure. we do. Yes, we do. So you're gonna come back on the show again? Absolutely. Will there will there be more beef jerky? Is the question. We're gonna make sure that there's more beef jerky. Damn right we are. That's right. Maybe for the last show of the year, the mm. pre-Christmas show, mm. or maybe in January when we kick off year 10 of wow. Behind the Lens. Holy mackerel. 10 years, yeah. 10 years. Boy, oh boy. It only feels like nine and three quarters. Oh, <laughs> All right. We're going to get him out of here before it turns into a total comedy special. It only feels like slightly under 10. Oh, stop. I'm go- don't I'm going to hit him. I'm going to hit him. Thank you all for listening to this wonderful incredible show with Frank again. Go see Freestyle 101 Hip Hop History. You don't have to go anywhere. You sit in your house, lay on your couch. It was made for that. 
to be literally to be lay down and just enjoy it. You watch enjoy it. a cocktail, smoke a little herb, whatever. And then you just watch the artistry. That's it. That's exactly it. And then I'll be back here next week. Ah, we have more people next week. Another full house. Holy mackerel. We're going to be talking with the editor of Butcher's Crossing and Your Lucky Day. He's got two films out right now. And now we're going to have the director of The Adventures of the Naked Umbrella with us next week. Frank will actually be listening now. Well, that yeah. suddenly I've perked up. Did, did I hear naked? naked? I just I heard naked and some other word. I just umbrella. Oh yeah. Well, but it still works. We're packed with guests, not in studio. Frank, that's reserved anymore. I think for Frank. Or, okay, gotcha. You know, that's Frank. But uh, we're we are jam packed the rest of the year. So until next week. I'm Debbie Elias. That's Frank Meyer. Um, And this is Behind the Lens.